0: our neighbor next door has like she's like a little she's kooky like she made us turn off our sprinklers because they were hitting her car and leaving marks oh
1: boy oh boy
0: and then last week she had us take our wind chime down because wait are you hold fucking on. kidding me that's relaxing
1: <laughs> Amanda they're lesbians Yes, <laughs> okay, no <way> shine. <laughs> this is a part of the culture I did not know about <laughs> get, in, get in speaking of wind chimes the judge is a real windbag <laughs> yeah yeah <I know. laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. welcome to week two of Future Millionaires, the podcast. I am Allie Simpson. I'm Haley Marsh.
2: And I'm Amanda Ephraim.
1: And on this week's episode, we're going to delve into the surprise bummer ruling and the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team gender discrimination lawsuit against U.S. soccer. And we're going to have on our legal expert today, Dion Garlick, Esquire, we're going to pepper with questions um, for hopefully not a very long time, but we got some good ones for her. Um, So just to start it off, I'm going to just recap the entire lawsuit, um, how we got here. So in March, 2019, the U S women's national soccer team filed a gender discrimination lawsuit against the U S soccer federation. And the players based the lawsuit on two separate grounds. First that U S soccer, violated the Equal Pay Act by paying them less than members of the men's U.S. soccer team, and secondarily, that the Federation discriminated against them under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 with regard to their workplace conditions um, in terms of like uh, hotels and flights and that sort of thing. So in November 2019, um, the federal judge R. Gary Klausner of the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California uh, granted them their first win, basically saying that players who appeared on the national team dating back to 2015 could um, be part of the lawsuit. So he gave him the lawsuit class certification. But then fast forward to February 2020, and the two sides filed different motions. Um, The lawyers for the U.S. women's team filed for what it's called a partial summary judgment, um, seeking back pay of at least $66.7 million um, in addition to punitive damages. And we have a very funny Instagram post on this with Jennifer Aniston and Smart Water. We would ask you to go look at it. Um, And then on the other side, uh, U.S. soccer asked the court to completely dismiss the lawsuit so fast forward to i think it was last week um the judge in the case who is a george w bush appointee just gonna throw that out there favored um in in favor of u.s soccer in the summary judgment basically agreeing with them saying that the u.s women's national team claimed that they were being paid less than the men was insufficient to even warrant a trial Kind of a huge blow, Um, he also ruled uh, secondarily that their lawsuit about um, playing on artificial turf rather than grass, um, he also threw that out. But the rest of their legal claims um, in terms of the discriminatory working conditions based on travel conditions and other sort of support services like medical and training support, that will still go to trial on June 16th. So this sort of came out of nowhere, people weren't expecting it. The three of us, um, had takes on it. Um, Haley, how did this impact you when it came down?
0: To be honest, I was pretty shocked by it. I felt like the women had so much momentum going for them over the last year and a half. Um, in this case, coming off of the world cup, they were just on top of the world. Nobody, none of the experts weighing in on this thought that the judge would rule, um, in a summary judgment in favor of US soccer. And so this kind of blindsided me personally. And I think we all kind of understand this case is it's about women's soccer, but it's also about every woman who's ever felt like she has been paid less than her male counterpart. And so personally, it was disappointing as well. Just so it sort of felt like a a loss on a personal level in that regard.
2: Yeah, yeah, I totally have to agree. Amanda. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I totally have to agree with you there. I think, first of all, it's pretty fucked up that it came in on a Friday night. Um, <laughs> not the time to get some bad news. I had a stomach ache all weekend, so <laughs> that was fun. Um, but yeah, I, Harry, to your point, like, I don't think, I mean, everyone kind of talked about how this was a little bit of a long shot in some ways, but to be dismissed um, in a summary ruling before even going to trial just felt like an extra slap in the face to the team and the women and all the work that they've done showing that basically they had no merit to even be asking for equal pay.
0: Well, and to me, like a a bigger issue here is it feels like the idea of women in sports specifically making more than men in sports is something that our culture and our country and probably the world, it's just, is so foreign to them and across Mm -hmm. all sports across all leagues men out earn their female counterparts by millions and millions and millions of dollars. And if the women ask for more in any of those leagues, people speak up and say, Oh, but you're stealing from the men. And in this case, the women barely, barely made more per game. It was like the the difference of like a couple thousand dollars per game that they made more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, for me, it was just like, it just shows the, the, the cultural sexism that played into this whole thing in the first place.
1: Yeah, I, I just was, it sort of felt like a gut punch. I mean, I wasn't expecting it. Um, I was, it feels almost like there being, I don't even know if this makes sense, like silence in a way that this isn't even going to go to trial. And mm-hmm. I, I either thought my first reaction was like, okay, well, this judge is an asshole or maybe the U S uh, women's teams lawyer sucked. Like I didn't, I was really upset. And so I, I, I did sort of like some quick, I, I think the worst part about this is like, we're in quarantine. So like we, it's so like, we can go to the movies or like to a bar. And so I really just like, <laughs> read into this. just, you know, I didn't understand why I was like being thrown out. And essentially it seems to me like the judge was saying, well, in 2017, you signed this collective bargaining agreement, and you already agreed to this, so you can't complain now. And you were offered what the men were offered. And I, I was like, there's absolutely no way that that's the case. And the, and the women's team now, the players are saying, we were never offered what the men were offered. And so I think it's even pissed me off even more because it feels like he ruled on um, something that's, that's not true. Um, I mean, they played, it's just, they played so many more games. <laughs> like it's insane.
2: Well, it's crazy because U S soccer admitted it much, you know, they said that they offered a similar structure, but definitely not the same, um, dollar amount for the women's team. So I also think it's pretty crazy that, uh, the judge would rule in U S soccer's favor, even though they admitted that it wasn't the same contract. Um, and it also, yeah. you know, was just ridiculous that, It was ruled down to like such like a simple like fourth grade long division math problem to come to his decision Mm -hmm. as opposed to like taking into account all of the other factors at play. Like like you said, they they played more games. They won four times as often. They won two World Cups. The men didn't qualify like none of that came into consideration. It was just dirty math problem that he's like, okay, that's this number is bigger than this one. Mm
1: Yeah, totally. It's just, the whole thing is just super freaking maddening. I, I just, I feel, I feel really, really frustrated. Um, and I have like 400 questions to ask Dion. <laughs> yeah, I
0: do too. I think that, uh, she'll be able to offer maybe hopefully a little bit of clarity on this for us. And, mm-hmm. um, if not,
1: yeah, we'll never have her back on, on the show. <laughs> I know <laughs> We need a new legal done. expert. i know it's it's super frustrating all right should we uh should we get into our questions for yeah uh let's jump right in okay All right, Dion. we are going to try not to ask you 4,700 questions. (laughs) Um, And we uh, thank you so much for being on with us. You didn't really have an out um, because (laughs) there's nothing is open and you can't do anything. So there's no excuse. Um, Oh, I appreciate the invite. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So. Just, I think, generally, what was, like, your overall takeaway from the ruling? Um, were you surprised? Were you not surprised? Um, what was your what was your reaction? Yeah, I think, you know, you guys kind of talked about this a little
3: bit, but it was a surprise. There were some early indications in the case that um, things were kind of going well. The judge granting class cert for the players was obviously a very positive development. And I think, you know, lawyers know this, that, motions for summary judgment are part of the dance uh, leading up to trial. It happens in basically every case I've ever worked on. Um, So it's not uncommon that everyone would file their motions. But it is a little surprising that, you know, 90% of the claims get dismissed in terms of dollar value in advance of trial. That is unusual. So I was definitely disappointed. I was hoping, like, I think a lot of us were that this was going to be the sort of sweeping decision that would pave the way for all female athletes. And it definitely was not that.
1: Yeah. I mean, at least for me, when I was reading his ruling, you know, he was really did not want to go into hypotheticals in terms of the dollar amounts. Um, And the Mm -hmm. thing, I think the irony of it all is that the the men's team had qualified for the 2018 world cup. They would have been paid more Mm -hmm. and would have completely nullified his argument. Um, do you feel like his reasoning is, is sort of, um, it, it comes off very simple to me. I don't know what your, you know, legal, you know, expertise reaction is to that. Um, but it's just kind of like, yeah. it grinds my gears. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look,
3: just the the high level comment here is that all lawyers be bad at math. <laughs> so <laughs> that might underlie some of these. Um, But Mm -hmm. then I also think I mean, just candidly, this judge became an attorney in 1967, I think, which was at least, you know, 10, maybe 15 years before we had a woman on the United States Supreme Court. So I think it's a lie to pretend like he's walking into this with a clean slate where he doesn't have any sort of bias like we all do. But um, there's definitely something going on here in terms of not wanting to talk about hypotheticals when if the only thing you're looking at is the CBA looking at the maximum amount that they could get is definitely part of that. And I think he tried to, he tried to turn it into like almost a female trope that women don't like risk. So Mm. they negotiated for something that involves less risk. And the men are, you know, they're ball busters and they can deal with, you know, they're betting on themselves like men do. And they, you know, they chose the riskier CBA with a higher yield, kind of like investing in a riskier stock and the women wanted a less risky stock. And that's kind of how he
1: like evaluated it. Yeah, that makes sense. So because the women agreed to have just like a higher base salary and then less bonuses for, you know, play. So, but Mm -hmm. the way that it strikes me is that U S soccer knows how good the U.S. women's team is. There's no way, at least to me, that they would have ever offered what they would offer to the men because they know that they would have to pay up the ass because they keep winning. That's exactly right. Okay. <laughs> That's right. exactly
3: right. Okay. There's no way they gave them the same term yeah.
1: because the players know
3: and U.S. soccer knows that the chances of the women winning the World Cup are like
1: 50-50, <laughs> like on a bad day. Yeah, <laughs> you right. What I mean? Okay.
3: Like they are mm-hmm. astronomically different than the men's.
1: Okay, yeah, that's that's where I was coming from. All right. So now the question, naturally, where do we go from here? What does it mean to appeal? What happens next?
3: Yeah, so an appeal is just as uncertain as at the trial court level. I think um, the only thing that's certain is that it will take a long time. Uh, Appeals are notoriously slow and it'll be, you know, a year or two typically for an appeal to get resolved. Um, It could the the appeal could do a number of things. It could push the case back down and uh, ask the judge to try the case all the way out with all the plaintiffs' claims. And it mm-hmm. just kind of depends on what the appellate panel who gets the case, as you, as I think you know, it just is a it's a draw of three judges mm-hmm. off of the court of appeal. So you don't really know in advance who's going to be hearing it, and uh, it's again
1: that luck of the draw. <laughs> wow, so it's like really a crapshoot. So if they Truly. were to send it back down and force the judge to hear it, um, could they bring forth new legal arguments or do they have to sort of stick with what they had previously? So they're stuck with what's in the complaint.
3: Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of your guiding document for the, the course of the case. What you can discuss has to be basically within the complaint. So, But they wouldn't really need new um, claims. If the, judge, if the judge's MSJ ruling was overturned, it would probably go to a jury. I'm sure
1: that the women would insist on a jury trial mm-hmm. and that would be good for them. No question. Okay. And so this appeal goes to the ninth circuit and then just like, sort of like my rudimentary, you know, reading of, of that, I, I sort of remember the ninth circuit being of like a more progressive, uh, liberal circuit. Is that, do do you agree with that? Is that right? So that's, it's tough, right?
3: And people view it as, as a more liberal court, but, and it, you know, if you compare it to other circuits, like the fifth circuit, for example, or um, circuits maybe located in the South, um, mm-hmm. then it is, does have typically a more favorable, a more favorable forum for a case like this. Um, but the truth is that it's about 50 50 on appointees from Republican presidents versus appointees from democratic presidents. So it's not as though, Every cause for women just sails through the Ninth Circuit. We've had some pretty right. onerous decisions from from the Ninth Circuit, just like everywhere else.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess, like you know, uh, certainly with um, you know Obama's Obamacare, you know, with with Chief Justice Roberts siding with the more you know progressive judges is like a huge surprise. So I always sort of think about that. And that kind of stresses me out. Um, and I think too, in terms of like, you know, there's collective bargaining agreement in this, and I feel like progressive leading judges will be kind of wary of wanting to overturn like something mm-hmm. that could undermine the power of unions. Um, yeah, that's exactly so, right. And that's a big part of it. Yeah. Cause this isn't really like a clear cut in terms of like liberal progressive. I mean, it's really like a, it's a, I mean, it's a pay dispute. I mean, it's a gender dispute, but the CBA makes it really tricky, right? It does. It does. Yeah.
3: And I think that's something that has, you know, has to be sort of part of the risk calculus when you're thinking about what it would look like
1: on appeal. Okay. So I mean, like technically, I mean, this could go another couple years on appeal, right?
3: Mm-hmm. And if you know, if they win, it could go back, which could you know take more time if it's going to go all the way to trial. It's just it's there. There are a lot of like moving pieces. So yeah. It's not. There's no set timeline,
1: unfortunately. It, it seems to me like U.S. soccer is kind of taking a beating in, in the press just because, I mean, on its face, it looks like they don't want to pay these champion women the money that mm-hmm. they are owed. And then we have a really crappy men's team that they're paying more. Um, <laughs> so do you feel like that would make them want to settle? Well, you would think so. Mm-hmm. But um and typically...
3: Settlements happen after big decisions, like class certification is a big time when people settle.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, MSJs, after the motions that they just ruled on, that's another time that settlement happens. I don't think that's happening here. They said that they're going to appeal it, which is good. Um, you would think that U.S. soccer would want to avoid you know, going to a jury trial at all costs, but you'd also think that U S soccer wouldn't want to make public arguments that their players
1: are less valuable
3: than the men's <laughs> team,
1: but you'd be wrong because they did that. Right. Yeah. So that's my next question. So in the March filing, they basically admitted that they were paid unequally based on gender. Um, basically, yes. I think, but didn't they argue like you have to be more athletic and the crowds are more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more stressful to be a man. Right. So <laughs> did they, did they have to, did they withdraw that argument after it went public?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know more about this than me, but the public response was just deafening, Yeah, which I think, look, I think the silver lining of this case is, is in the power of the public opinion, right? Yeah. like, we're not getting the ruling out of the district court that we wanted, but we got Carlos Cordero to step down. And you better believe that every in-house legal team at an organization that has a men's and women's team are evaluating the CBAs of their women's teams and their men's teams. And they're thinking about what would it look like in court if all of our emails were disclosed right. and we had to go and defend every provision in each CBA for the men's and women's teams. And this is for sure going to be something on everyone's minds when they renegotiate.
1: Well, I guess that's good. I mean, even if they they lose in court, I mean, hopefully it sets a precedent moving forward. Um, I think this their CBA is up in 2021. Um, so it, it feels like maybe the timing could clash um, in terms of a ruling on appeal and the CBA. Mm-hmm. Um so, uh, I mean, when they, were, when they had to withdraw the argument, basically arguing it was unequal because of gender, the judge can no longer, like, rule on that because they withdrew the argument, right? Yeah,
3: I think that's what, I think that's what happened. Um, it's hard, it's hard because they clearly made these arguments that basically the entire world recognized as sexist. And then, mm, less than like in, in a matter of weeks, the judge turned around and said, Yeah, no, there was no sexism here. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> so it feels like they withdrew it, but it, you know, the damage was done on the public, the public narrative surrounding the lawsuit, but the judge really didn't
1: seem to be worried about it. Yeah, I know. God, reading it was just, oh, I, can't, I can't even get into it. Um, so, I mean, we, you sort of <laughs> talked about how, like, you know, this is becoming symbolic for equal pay, you know, certainly in other areas we're looking at CBAs in in terms of men's and women's teams, but is there like another case, um, that this compares to that can give us like an idea of where like the movement goes from here? I mean, even if, even if they end up losing, um, you know, sometimes the, you know, they say like the, the arc of social justice at bends. you know, takes a long ass time. Mm -hmm. Um, but is there anything (laughs) that you can think of and compare this to? You know, you're exactly right. It does take a long time. Yeah. And um,
3: judges don't like to be hated. They're people. And they're kind of lonely. Like, they <laughs> have all these rules about who they can talk to. And, like, they they say it's, like, you know, a more isolating place. So they, there's no question they read the coverage. Um, but in terms of what we can compare it to, it's not a perfect comparison. But it does remind me a little bit of the gay rights fight for marriage equality. Mm-hmm. Which, when the... When people started litigating this, you know, we were really concerned that we were going to get bad rulings and it was going to set us back, right? Mm-hmm. And like when we filed the lawsuit to challenge the Proposition 8 in California, which restricted marriage to um, heterosexual marriages, the public response wasn't, you know, super solid. And uh, we, we brought it all the way up to the Supreme Court, but it wasn't the sweeping win that people had hoped, It allowed marriage between um, gay people in California, but it wasn't this, you know, equal rights for all Mm -hmm. type decision that we have now in Obergefell. Mm -hmm. So, but it paved the way, right? Like the, sometimes you don't get the win on the first time. It takes one case bringing the issues to light, getting people, you know, motivated about this, getting courts to recognize that this is, you know, where people are, Thinking. And, you know, we think about the law as like totally impervious to, you know, public opinion, but it's not. It, yeah. It's very responsive. And this, this could be the first step, even if it means that they don't win what we want them to win in the end. And I'm not saying that they won't on appeal, but if they don't.
1: It might not be the end of the world. It might just be the first case. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that future millionaires needs to start a grassroots campaign, <laughs> marching in the streets, bring our equal pay chance out 1, of the 1,000%. Okay. All right. I think we can get behind that. I think we can make that happen. Um, yeah. But hopefully they get a win and this doesn't have to be some long drawn out thing that, you know, takes a million years. Um, Agree. Yeah. Agree it's time it's been long enough (laughs) it is it has it really has all right cool i think i think that's all of my questions um if any any of you other gals have any questions shoot them at um dion but again thank you so much um this has been really helpful you guys are awesome thanks we appreciate it So I think talking to Dion, she made me feel better. I think, um, you know, this doesn't seem like a case that's going to go all the way to Supreme court. Um, I think I feel um, a little better knowing that U uh, S soccer is hemorrhaging money. And so maybe they'll settle sooner. Cause I don't want to <laughs> wait a million years. Um, but I, I also feel like maybe there are things we can do as fans to support them um, and put pressure on the courts, um, you know, being outspoken on, you know, the Twitters and, you know, maybe, maybe we got to march in the streets on these folks, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah,
2: I mean, I would say as disappointing as this ruling was last week, the quick response we saw from U.S. women's national team members saying that they're not giving up and the fight's not over was actually super inspiring to me, and it made me feel really hopeful um, about the future of women's sports. Because I feel like regardless of the outcome of this trial, it's becoming so clear that the tide of public opinion is shifting in support of equality for female athletes. And Yeah, yeah Amanda, I love this, it.
0: Like they always like mm-hmm. they always double down. They're not afraid of just like continuing to like throw all the chips on the table. So <laughs> it's like
2: right. when they yeah. when
0: they put their mm-hmm. their word behind something, it's like you better be scared about what they are backing it up with.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like their ability to lead this conversation just shows how great of hands this fight is in. And so like I don't want to go up against them. I'd be terrified for anyone going up against them. So um, good luck. <laughs>
0: yes, completely agree. For me, my, my takeaway from this whole situation is that, you know, in a lot of ways, it was a huge win for U.S. soccer last week. But I think what we saw was that um, U.S. soccer didn't celebrate it. In fact, in their response to the summary judgment – They'd never, they didn't even say they were happy about it. So um, they've lost so much support from the public through this battle with the U.S. Women's National Team that I just can't see U.S. soccer coming out of this uh, on top in any way. I mean, they're, they're not winning. So I think there's a lot of hope for a good settlement for the women in the future and possibly in the courts. So. Um, You know, we'll see. But this certainly wasn't a win for, for U.S. soccer.
2: Alright, so for our second story today, we're going to be switching gears to something that is undeniably positive in the women's soccer world, and honestly, just huge news for the sports community at large. This morning, Alex Morgan announced the birth of her baby on Thursday, May 7th, in the sweetest Instagram post, and she announced the sweetest name, um, Charlie, which we love, I think, collectively agree to that. Um, I love. Haley, Allie, how are you guys feeling about this?
1: I mean, I'm so happy the baby's completely adorable. Um, I was super nervous that she had to give birth during a literal worldwide pandemic, um, and the baby the baby was late anyway. And also, she was like on the morning shows talking about the uh, the legal ruling in their case. Like, I think like the day before or days before. So, like, not surprisingly, she's so so impressive.
0: Yeah, completely rising to the occasion, <laughs> defending, like, all women everywhere, <laughs> while also giving birth like a dead leader. It's just, like, it's it's so awesome. Very Alex Morgan.
1: 100%. Um,
0: the thing that I love most about it was um, the fact that she had her baby, and she doesn't have to rush to get back to the U.S. Women's National Team like she was planning to, mm-hmm. Um since the, game has, the games have been postponed to next summer, I'm actually really excited to see how she and Carly Lloyd battle for that spot that Carly stepped into when Alex announced that she was pregnant. So going into this year's Olympics, had they been July 2020, Carly would have probably started in Alex's position. And now that's completely up in the air. So I'm super excited to see um, how those two battle it out on the field.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, Carly's been doing a pretty big, pretty large and overt campaign this entire year for that spot and to prove that she still has it in her. Um, So I think it's just going to be more interesting and exciting for fans everywhere just to see um, which of the two of them is going to be the one to to really be starting next year in the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. I also think it's just such a game changer for Alex to now join the group of moms who are professional athletes. Um, you know, if you think about Serena, Allison, Felix, Sydney Larue, all of these women who have made major changes in their in their respective sports. Um, you know, recognizing that moms can still be um, amazing athletes and perform at the top of their game. And I think Alex's um, recent contract with Nike, where she renegotiated, giving herself, I think it was eighteen months of paid. Um, paid maternity leave just shows that the respect that these women are now um, finally getting to be completely honest.
1: Yeah, totally. So awesome.
0: Very, very happy for Alex.
2: Yeah. Looking forward to see this little, this little girl grow up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's going to be a, a bad
2: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone. That's our episode this week. Um, thank you all for listening and we'll talk to
0: you all next week. Bye guys. Bye.